I'm Charlotte Green. The main news today. You're listening to Purple Radio. Like Radio 4, but a colour, not a number. Isn't that clever? Hello and welcome to Mimazine on Air. Are we intimidated by intellectuals? Gender equality still governs numerous aspects of daily life, and this is true for the rife double standards in intellectualism. This is apparent even from our school days. In the UK and other Western countries, up to secondary school age, girls are stereotypically more likely to be high academic achievers, be on time with work, and even have higher attendance rates than boys. UCAS data suggests that female school leavers in England are 35% more likely to apply for university than their male peers. This gap widens even further amongst applicants from the lowest socio-economic backgrounds. Women from disadvantaged backgrounds are 58% more likely to apply for university than men from the same background. What's more, this inequality extends to staffing, as only 15% of primary school and around 38% of state secondary school teachers are male. There is also a gender divide based on subjects taught by men. Male teachers are more likely to specialise in science, technology, engineering, maths and PE, whereas women are more likely to teach humanities and languages. Is this teaching gender imbalance linked to the imbalance in pupils' outcomes? Sexism within the academic curriculum and education environment is on the rise, with social media yet again being condemned as another driving factor, leaving both girls and boys not knowing where to turn when they receive unwanted sexual content or comment from their peers outside the classroom. This academic imbalance is then flipped at university level, with the majority of academic professors being men. Of the 19,000 professors in the UK, only 4,735 are female. Yes, this really is a confusing and very complex issue. Is there a more intellectual sex? Or is it just another stereotype society has created and enjoys constructing to exploit for our own entertainment? Today, I'm joined by Cameron Yule, a student here at Durham University who represented Durham University on University Challenge to discuss the double standards of gender faced by intellectuals. Hello Cameron, welcome to the show. Hi, it's lovely to be here, thanks for having me on. No, my pleasure. Please may you start by telling us about yourself, your intellectual journey as such, degree. Um, so yeah, I'm a third year um, at Grey, I study English, it's a bit like doing my UC intro again. Um, <laughs> I come from northwest London um, and yeah, I don't know really what to say about where I but my intellectual journey, I guess, started from quite early on when my parents would encourage me to read pretty heavily. And then that was kind of that. I sort of went off doing, I guess, largely my own thing, a lot of reading, but just looking things up. I think it's one of these sort of innate things you'll just, you have like this sort of curiosity. And I think I've always wanted to know stuff. Um, probably because I'm quite nosy, but also I think that kind of, that sort of translates. So yeah, to just as finding out as much as you can about pretty much anything. And I have a re- my really good mind, sort of facts and figures and stuff. So I really like, it's always nice just knowing stuff. And I think that was one of the things that I found quite, um, yes, quite cool. Although I never ever thought I'd be on University Challenge. So that came as a bit say, of a, that's a bit of a shock. So yeah, I don't know when I sort of realised that this was a possibility. Because I think one thing, like most people have always sort of, when they're a bit younger, tuned into it on BBC Two and thought, I've not got a clue what's going on. That's me, by the way. Yes, started to watch a few episodes, just because when you live in a house, you're sort of, 
anything that's on TV, you'll just watch it. I remember last year like, doing really well in some of the first episodes and suddenly it was like, oh yeah, like maybe this is a, maybe this could happen. And yeah, here we are now. So um, it's gone all right. And going back to the main te- topic of today's episode, gender, double standards and inequality within intellectual studies. Can you tell us a little about that? Um, different professions, areas, is there any kind of correlations there? I mean, in my experience, I think, I mean, I don't, I guess as a student, I'm not sure how much I could talk about the experience of people within like mm. academia. One of the things you do notice though, in terms of media, which I think it's like we'll come on to talk about, is that the way, I mean, just the way women are treated in general is a massive double standard compared to men, but I think particularly like clever intellectual women, sort of routinely will be picked apart by male journalists or even sometimes like other female journalists. And I think there's kind of a greater level of scrutiny that just seems to exist surrounding them. I think that's so interesting you say that even by female journalists, um, female intellectuals are being kind of dissected. I, mean, I guess I'm thinking more kind of, I feel like in the male or something, women are sort of equally ready to turn on other women mm. as men would turn on women. But and I, do you think men are equally ready to turn on other men as well? In terms of academics, probably yes. I think, I mean, my, my dad used to work in academia. Tez is probably not a more kind of catty bitch, even though those are two rather uh, gendered actors, Yeah, they're I guess. quite feminine um, word choices there. Yeah, although I guess that it's a very kind of, in terms of academic, academics a lot of people's uh like sort of writing is based on attacking or criticizing that of their sort of colleagues or peers but yeah it was also massively dominated by men and sort of that's kind of a historical bias that i guess is only very slowly starting to be redressed within media you said that's probably one of the easiest places to identify as double standard what is it like what does the media like to present women and men as academics or what is the disparity between them? Um, well, I mean, if you want to start with the most obvious one, I think women will get criticised for their appearance in ways that men very rarely would. And also, I think someone like Mary Beard, the amount of sort of abuse she's been subject to, or either abuse, especially now that you have things like Twitter and stuff, but um, even sort of criticism over her appearance, the fact that she doesn't seem to conform to what a sort of people think like a woman on TV should look like, the fact that she doesn't really give sort of a flying one about any kind of standards people seem to hold her to because, well, I mean, she's incredibly clever. She's kind of pushing a sort of sphere of academic study, I guess, like, you know, classics, which is going out of kind of trend, which more fewer and fewer people have to get access to. And she's doing something like that, or at least kind of on the BBC, for a wide audience. She doesn't really care if oh, people don't think she looks like how they want her to. Well, but but it gets picked up. All the, it does get picked up all the time. Mm-hmm. Or people will sort of throw insults at her based on her appearance. It's nothing to do with any of the content she presents. And she's much better than quite a lot of the men as well. I think someone like if you compared her to say like Dan Snow, it's not really much of a contest. Dan Snow is good, but like I think Mary Berry like tries some sort of proper rigor, and yet she'll still she's one facing the heavy criticism yeah. of her appearance. I mean, I'd hate to I'd see the state of like her like private message and stuff on Twitter or anything, even if she's, if she ever says, because she, she, she's quite outspoken sometimes, which I, which I think is really good, but if she's, you ever see her kind of, well, Mary Bird says X about women, academia, in education, you can guarantee that if you get on Twitter, there'll be a load of vile comments lined up 
from men who are nowhere near as clever as her. Have you found this true for your university challenge experience? Well, I think, I think there is the stereotype that exists is that people are kind of, well, they're kind of massive nerds, which I think, it's, and also kind of very competitive and like, you know, very full on. And I don't think that could be really further from the truth. Like, I think one of the things that always gets played up is the amount of competitiveness. I genuinely can't think of sort of less sort of egotistical, nicer bunch of people than people I met through doing the show. Uh, but I think one of the things that pe- people are there for, then no, no one's really there for attention because you don't get paid for it. All you really get, you don't get any, any real kind of credit for it just apart mm. from having been on the show. And you get people there who just genuinely want to be there. So I got on in my first time of applying, but there are people who I know are on this current series who've applied four, five, six times. Like, it's just something people want to do. I guess it's kind of a way... Just that passion, I suppose. I guess, if you, I guess also, yeah, if you've spent so much time, like, training, if you know so much, it's kind of the ultimate way to test it. I mean, it's, maybe it's not the most difficult kind of form of quizzing, but I think just it's the most public. And for a lot of people, that's all they want to do, is just to be on the show. And they're really happy to be there. Yes, they know far more than the average person but they're they're all very normal very lovely people it's sort of one of the things we have like oh there's a kind of a group facebook group for all the um um contestants and it's just pretty and nothing sort of out of the order obviously there are people with some kind of more niche interests than say i but like we can all we sort of all laugh and joke about the program how it kind of then it gets portrayed how things that we, we always sort of worry so much about how we look when we go back on TV or you kind of know that there's a, like a cock up coming at some point in an episode you just have to brace yourself for you it you sit there and laugh at it yeah. together and, they, but, and these are sort of like normal people who again like worry because the show's got like 3 million viewers which is something that really shocks me when I found out but like that's if you're I'd say some people are, some contestants are a bit more shy than others like if to see yourself exposed on such a kind of huge scale that's one of the things like people legitimately worry about I think I think that's a very normal normal concern like you said that's going to affect everybody regardless of your intelligence level regardless of anything you're being that kind of yeah. level of exposure and I guess when you turn to the fact that it's quite a sort of it's quite a tense atmosphere because it's quite, it is a competition so when you're being recorded you have no idea how you're behaving what your like mannerisms are um, and yeah that can get and one of the things now since like Twitter's kind of kicked off um, like people on the show find themselves under all sorts of scrutiny because oh they'll be like look at him he drinks water really weirdly or they might have, or they'll, I guess there's the one thing that I, mean, I think candidates of both genders get it but it's obviously far more that affects uh, the female candidates far more contestants far more disproportionately is like yeah appearance and stuff clothes that. so I know you receive quite a few comments on the fleece that you're wearing yeah that's I mean I'm I'm quite happy with that because uh, the reason I wore the fleece I don't, I don't know how many people know this is that um, there's a dress code for, for each for, for the episodes which is don't wear white or black because it messes with the cameras um, I'd forgotten to read this as I was getting the got on the train so I was wearing a sort of nice crisp white shirt thinking oh I look really smart on TV read these sort of uh, dress code on the train I was like oh no so I had to wear my fleece and yeah that's kind of black tape to cover over the logo and I think now it's kind of sort of spawned its own myth it's quite cool yeah no pretty good fleece actually would would recommend (laughs) Um, but not the same one that's mine now but yeah, like that's the kind of thing I can deal with that like people saying oh why are you wearing a fleece indoors it's also surprisingly cold in the studio I would add but 
that I get receive like you know like message requests on Facebook. Yeah. And people are asking where I can buy the fleece and stuff. That's fine. I can deal with that. Like it's not not really sort of personal it's attack on me. Yeah. Whereas I think the one thing is so I receive me on average maybe like four to six message requests an episode. Some of the girls who are on the show will receive. 20, 30 requests, just message requests. And what do those kind of consist of? Are they always looking at your appearance? I mean, is it really varied? I mean, some are complimentary, but I've seen some that some are like, were just sort of outright kind of vulgar and sexist, and it's just stuff that. I mean, it's one of these things that you wonder how you can ever, especially on Facebook, when mm. you can sort of see who the person is, why you could ever send that or say that. Um, Especially, yeah, that's not trolling. There is a there's yeah, like a face and a character behind the yeah. message, um, and that's the kind of thing. I think the reason it kind of affects people so much is because no one ever signed up, no one ever signed up for this. Going on this as such an achievement, you don't yeah. expect it to be incredibly negative. And yeah, I think for uh, quite a lot of the female candidates, contestants, can you say candidates? Sorry, contestants is yeah, it ends up being quite horrible at times. So kind of. Scrutiny of all sorts of things that were never a factor in being on the show. And do you think this kind of ventures out of just academia and just more general spheres? Like, uh, I know you're heavily involved in theatre work. I think, yeah, I think the kind of, I mean, one of the things is that kind of, I guess the last year's selection showed this is the kind of men will kind of be forgiven anything, whereas women won't. I think people always, I think people generally still have kind of, I guess, like sort of, well, they see sort of historical standards for women, which essentially means judging them more for doing the same thing as men. I think in theatre, it's it's not so bad. Although one thing that from most rates in Durham is that there are never enough parts for the number of female actors. But I think that's something that's that kind of an individual thing about what plays people are doing. I think there's a much um, that's kind of a much better culture, and no one, none of that sort of unpleasantness would happen. Mm. And yeah, Durham's quite a good place that I think it's more kind of outside into kind of, yeah, media. I just a general kind of Why disparity. Yeah, the sort of disparity between how men and women get treated. What are the effects of this from your own experience or looking from your experiences against those of your female peers in Universe Challenge? So yeah, for me, well, there's, there's a Daily Telegraph article that came out in... Late August, yeah, it was the week our first episode aired, so it was late August, and the headline was like, oh, leave it to the geeks, ladies, or something. And they used my photo, um, which is not not great. I don't like sort of being sort of involved with sort of like the face of public mm. sexism. Um, but then again, kind of what do you expect with the Daily Telegraph? But that was kind of, there's sort of an argument there. It was like Giles Brandreth and Anne Robinson. Anne Robinson was saying everyone on quiz shows is sort of, kind of an egomaniac which is possibly true of the weakest link but it's definitely not the case of university challenge um and giles brandt just was like oh quizzing is a safe space for uh for men to like be on their own it's kind of like well i think it's kind of the irony that if someone because giles brandt was sort of being rather right wing if someone on the other side sort of left wing person said oh we like this you know a safe space for us presumably he'd be sort of scoffing at that and yet, I think for some reason people think it's okay to maintain. Well, I mean, I think it's not just it's quizzy, but in wider, people think that these sort of previously men only space or spaces dominated by men 
should be kept that way because they deserve to have it protected, which is really bizarre. I think the show does a lot to redress this, actually. Yeah, so what are they doing to fight this? They are trying to... The percentage of female contestants is about 25%, and it's been kind of like that. So the producers were talking to us about this. I think I'm allowed to say this. Or I said that they'd keep trying to boost numbers, but it's quite hard because a lot of the selection process occurs at an individual at a university level. Okay. So they can only... Um, I guess the show can only kind of do so much in terms of the actual contestants, but they started introducing a lot more questions about uh, female figures or related to kind of discoveries of, say, female scientists, okay. the works of female artists. And I think one of the things that I've I mean, I've noticed is that I don't know as much about kind of female achievements as I do about those of men. And I th- and you kind of think about think about history or science, and it, yeah, it's dominated by men. So I think it's good. That's a good way of starting to kind of address this situation by kind of making this commonplace and not it's just oh here's kind of like a token question on a female, but actually no, we're going to treat them with equal weighting. But then there's only so much show can do. Like there needs to be a wider change, I guess, within the like, teaching of say history, science at school. Mm. Is to realize this okay? The reason that women perhaps can't say as much as men because they sort of there's so much historical sexism but also to play out the achievements offer more kind of I think modules in Spain especially at school and kind of like sort of A or something like suffragism should be kind of introduced sort of encourage so it's further celebration I guess they've started there was that uh, statue of Millicent Fawcett they put up in Westminster I think last year kind of more kind of wider celebration of historical female figures and that's kind of stopped moving towards yeah I guess addressing a lot of this historical bias there was um, one thing I remember seeing a couple of years ago it was an English course at Yale which was like a like sort of mandatory course called like the Great Poets and there were nine poets on the course and the eight you got to choose one but the rest were chosen by the department and they're all what, white men and you kind of think, like... Really? Is that representative of... Well, I mean, some people might think they are, they're like the greatest poets. I'd half agree with that, but I think there's... I at least think of half a dozen female poets who sort of be equally worthy, possibly more worthy. Because I mean, someone like, for example, Emily Dickinson, you could easily make a mandatory... They could have made mandatory on that course. They'd say, like, Edmund Spencer probably, you know, appeals to our generation far more sort of kind of less sort of stared more kind of to engage with I think from the way that we kind of start to read literature as young as younger people um but yeah I think that kind of just shows the sort of how kind of ingrained some of these things are and yeah we're like oh I don't re- we don't really see a problem with this um That's so interesting you really do have to start right back in the earliest forms of education really to follow through and then for the media to extrapolate what they want to from mm. that, hopefully. Oh, because media, yeah, media will sort of inevitably get things wrong because I think they're generally looking for headlines. Yeah, they're looking to grab people's attention. Um, and I think, I mean, it's kind of very reactionary, but it would be it would be nice, I guess, not nice, but it'd be good for sort of biggest culture institutions. I think universities count as those start making like a difference in terms of, or kind of at least showing a shift in what they do. I think even at Durham and the English Department, I mean, the English Department is wonderful, don't get me wrong, but it's still largely male-dominated. I mean, also, 
even worth more worthwhile looking at that they're uh, they're in the. I've never had a non-white lecturer, a, a non-Caucasian lecturer in I've, my two and a half years. Please research for this. I was looking at the statistics of professors in the UK. Very few women. Very few non-white professors in every subject area. Yeah, research I think. Level. I, but I think that's probably a that's probably a, a poem in its own. Mm. Oh, um, hugely! I, yeah, I can't a, even look into that. That's a whole new debate. I think, yeah, even even beyond, because at least there are female professors in the English department. I couldn't tell you. I don't think I've I've had I think maybe I mean a Greek tutor for one module is the sort of furthest we've got away from white Eng- or crazy. English or Irish tutors. So yeah. That that's something that massively needs to be kind yeah. of looked at, and again, it, I guess it goes back to the same roots. You like, why are people from BME backgrounds so disadvantaged in terms of applying to uni, in terms of the support they get coming through? And again, it's how we can kind of address these things. And do you think unis and, like you said, educational institutions are going to be the driving forces of this to to really? Try and break down those stereotypes in the future. They they have to, I think. I mean, there's only so much they can just go hand in hand, I guess, the government as well, um, who don't seem in the current state of affairs don't seem so willing to change anything. But yeah, I think the I think universities, especially say, you know, changing application processes, which are massively biased at the moment towards people from um, private schools and look at Durham. Putting back exam results in context and stuff, so rewarding people who might whose results might be worse, but given the fact that they might come from school where they've had no help at all, rewarding those more. I think more kind of outreach programs. Um, I think I don't know what Durham's like in this. I don't know how like what it's sort of like outreach to locals, like schools and local communities. I remember thinking of like when people at school started applying for Oxford and stuff. How private schools kind of seem to have all these they want and going to visit colleges I'll be like you'll be, be like your history teacher's old college you can walk around have a look and I think things that seem so sort of naturalised to people from that background for someone who's not so kind of advantaged in their um, doesn't have all the yeah, doesn't have every, kind of the world at their feet when they're applying it can seem so intimidating so kind of far away mm. um, really put people off I think I think that's really Really unfair advantage. Or oh yeah, well, I think if you actually went as a if as a non-private school student, oh, and to make things even more difficult for you if you're from a minority background, because uh, I think like, if you look at Oxford, the number of I think there was like one year they only let sort of tw- twenty black students, they accepted twenty black students, which is absolutely absurd for a university of over twelve thousand undergrads. It's, it's genuinely shocking. But you imagine going to like actually visiting a college and you see a sort of way well, although you see a group of sort of private school students being led around by their teacher and one of the tutors from the college, you can't help but think this is a system that's inherently kind of set up against you. And I think that's kind of the wider problem here, is that in terms of like a system that's still quite conservative, that still favours people who kind of always have the advantages and it needs to start or it needs to make some progress in that sense. Bottom up. Yeah. No, but yeah. that's that's gonna that's not an easy no, process. Not, it's not a, a long process. No. But then it how could you ever have a quick fix when the problems you're addressing have been ingrained for so, so long? 
I mean, we still got a, we're not that far away from the same time when you get into Oxbridge it's just because one of your dad had known the, knew the admissions tutor or something. Um, at least we're now, I guess, on face with a more meritocratic approach. But I think there's still more that needs to be done. This is Purple Radio. This is Purple Radio. You may be very clued up on important matters um, on wider society and in academia, but I have been told the ultimate indication of true intelligence is through trivia pointless quizzes. How do you feel about doing one? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not. Yeah, this is like I I appreciate that I probably now can't name for myself as sort of a bit of a nerd, but. Yeah, I've still not won the... Ever since being on TV, I've not done very well in the great pub quiz compared to my actual like, decent success before going on. They are two very so, yeah. different things. It's so interesting to... Yeah, because I, mean, I sort of expect, yeah, expect to win. Of, <laughs> of course. Uh, no, yeah, I hope there's no science there because that's not really my... Uh, Don't worry, I left the science out. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Which country has the highest concentration of broadband users in the world? No idea. Iceland. I I was thinking somewhere small. I was gonna say Singapore. And what is America's best-selling ice cream flavor? Vanilla or mint chocolate chip? Ooh, don't know if this is a trick question or not. I'm gonna say mint chocolate chip. Vanilla. Oh, boring choice. Boring choices. And what color was Coca-Cola originally? This one is kind of scary. Well, I know it used to contain cocaine. <laughs> um, green? Yes. Very good. Yeah. Very good. And That's how 10 points. Old, that is 10 <laughs> points. How old was the youngest pope? The youngest pope? Jesus. Um, I don't know. I'm struggling to think. Maybe... Oh, I feel like there'll be there'll be some rogue one in there in like their thirties or something. Oh no, we're talking younger than thirties. Are we? Yeah. Um. Because oh, gee, I've no. Do you have a, how early on it is? It must be. It's it's quite a while ago. Yeah. Is there is, is there a thousand in the year, or are we before I that? Know. There is a thousand. There's there a thousand there in is, the year. Okay, is, yes. that's not um. I don't know. Sixteen. Very close, 11. Jesus. Who, yeah. Well, not him, but... Um, Sadly, I don't know the name uh, of him, but this young Pope had a lot of responsibility at a very young age. Well, that's kind of like the Dalai Lama, isn't it? But that's kind of that's sort of a different process. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of more... That's a spiritual... Or is it based on like a spiritual thing? I don't think you... Because I don't think they could probably have another 11-year-old Pope. No. Well, so I'm not sure they should be... Actually, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> How long does the average person spend in a lifetime waiting for a traffic light to change? Is it two days, two weeks, or two months? I'm going to say two weeks. Very good. Another ten points. <laughs> Last but not least, what facial feature does Mona Lisa not have? No. Is? Eyebrows. Eyebrows. If you look closely and now thinking she has no eyebrows, it completely changes with her face. Very prominent. Uh, what brow, but no. Yeah, no um, eyebrows. Oh, okay. I've never actually been to the uh, been to Louvre. I really should. 
But also when you go, as far as I'm aware, when you go there, you can barely get near the painting. Oh, yeah, it's from afar. Yeah, and there's so many people in front. So even if she did have eyebrows, you'd probably yeah. be able to see them from where you would um, with you. Can I ask you one question, actually? Oh, God, here we go. Um, this is actually uh, something that I've been, is a question that first came up during our rehearsals to my play, but now I just quite like it as a sort of dinner party, just general uh, conversation question. If you could have one cultural object, what would it be? So you could have like statue, you could have work of architecture, like a manuscript of a, like a book or a play. Yeah, a work of art. Yeah, pretty much anything. Yeah, anything in the widest sort of description of um, art. I think it would have to be a painting. Yeah. I'm not sure which one. But I think because you can say so much in a painting, you can tell so many different levels of the story from different people. Yeah. But what painting would you choose? If it was for... I See, I would have chosen, you. like, the Garden of Earthly Delights that is in the Prado. The huge triptych. Mm. I think that's incredible. I think it would be a Picasso piece. Yeah. But like, again, I couldn't tell you which one it would be. I don't have to really think about that. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to do some... Delving into some artworks. Yeah, actually. and then and then start asking other people the question as well. It's really interesting. I've heard a lot. My uh, one of my cast like, oh, I just have the pyramids. Just the pyramids. Oh, yeah. actually, now I think that's big scale. Yeah, and um, all Michelangelo's David in the uh, in the porch of his house. Because it seems that if he could have Michelangelo's David, he'd have a house with a porch that was big enough just to have it there. Because it's huge. I do like yeah. that thinking. That's good thinking. Well, thank you again, Cameron. Just to finish, how do you feel about doing a quick fire? Oh, yeah. Right, this Absolutely. is quick fire with Cameron. Fleece or tux? Um, yeah, fleece. Because I don't think you can get a fleece wrong, whereas people often will get a black tie wrong. Very good. What feeds your soul? Realistically, coffee. <laughs> yep, truthful honesty there. And how do you switch off? I get distracted really easily, so it would just be seeing pretty much anything that isn't related <laughs> to the task at hand, and my brain will go. But then again, I think that's kind of one of the things that kind of drove me to find out so much stuff in the first place. It would be like kind of getting distracted. Uh, I mean, I'm often instructed to have a day off, but I really don't think that's possible. I just can't, just keep, I have to keep going, or uh, I don't know what would happen. And final question, what is your dream career? Oh my god. That's a big <laughs> question to finish. Uh, what is my dream career? So I suppose it doesn't have to have any grounding no, in reality. Um want. Well, I think well, that's maybe a bit too far. I'd, lo- I'd love to be a kind of professional writer. I'd love to write, say, be like a playwright or write screenplays. Something in that kind of, or even like writing sort of like long, long form, like sort of journalism pieces like sort of stuff you don't see so often but sometimes like in Rolling Stone mm. or like where else do you kind of say sometimes in like GQ and stuff I'd love to do that I think that's really interesting the idea of like developing stories finding out things or spending like like six months researching something or spending time with people anything that has that kind of I guess creative process well. yeah and like I think that's one of the and that's one of the things that draws me so much to theatre is that you kind of really a group of people and you have like a product at the end that you finish yeah, I, I quite that. like that I quite like having something that you can say oh, I've done this this is my thing so yeah thank you so much for having me on it's been wonderful no thank yeah. you are there any last comments or takeaways you'd like to leave our listeners with 
You know, Jeremy Paxman, this is the question that I get asked and Jeremy Paxman is actually quite nice in person. He's quite curt and he won't hang around for long, but he's actually quite a nice person. You heard so, yeah. me first. Thank you very much, Cameron.